It is another edition of Making Money, the show with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. That means he managed people's affairs with money, folks. This show, this is about the hype cycle. I wish I could keep track because I, I, a lot of people knew I was an investor, that I dabbled in things. I can't, I wish I'd kept track of how many times I got, Gord, you got to get on board with this one. I, I, I can't remember how many times I heard that. Well, you know, I'd have people unannounced uh, come to my door or knock on it that were um, promoters and um, somehow maybe their third cousin's fourth aunt's grandmother was a major shareholder in something that wanted me to get involved in it. And I've seen so many of these things come and go over the years. So I just thought, you know, this would be a good idea to do a show on this because hype is back. And uh, a lot of companies that, frankly, uh, should be dead and buried are flying right now. So we're going to talk about how this cycle, why it exists, and how to recognize it. And then if you decide you want to play the hype cycle, how do you do that? Okay, so, so is it mostly surrounding initial public offerings, Ron? That seems to be the one that, that catches most people's attention. Well, it is, but for example, you'll get um, a theme, and a theme right now is biotechnology. Okay. So there's companies that uh, went public maybe a year or two ago or three years ago, and they haven't done much yet, but people get caught up that biotechnology is going to save the world. And so they pile into these things, and they push them higher. And you have to ask yourself, why do investors get so hyped that they become irrational? And you have to understand the drivers behind the hype cycle is that big investment dealers sensing huge profits when they market a company, uh, they, they send their marketing into hyperdrive. As the old saying goes, they put lipstick on pigs and blow them out the door. And new issues especially are very lucrative for dealers selling them they get extra and, commission, don't they? Oh, yeah, and especially the smaller the deal, the higher the fees. So commissions are often are in excess of 10% plus, which really incentivizes promotion promoters to literally market the crap out of these things. So you get a small company that's burning through cash that needs more money, So it may, and maybe they've gone public in the past, but they'll come to a major investment dealer or an invest, smaller investment dealer and they'll say, look, we need to raise more capital. So then the hype machine starts. And you get all this um, all this hype out there. And, of course, you know the old story. If, you know, it's one of those party stories where if you put, get 10 people in a circle. <laughs> Tell and the you story. Whisper, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you whisper in the ear of the first person, and they have to relate that story. By the time it gets around the room, it's totally distorted. And so, sure, the investment community gets the, gets the facts and, and kind of highlights the, the positives more than they do the, the negatives. But if you read the prospectus, they're required to put all the risks in there. So you're buying a new issue. Take a look at the perspective. Go to the risk page and read it. But once the hype start, gets in a circle and gets around the room, it gets exaggerated even more. And people are just slathering at the mouth to get their hands on this new issue or this stock that, you know, everybody's friend is telling them, 
hey, you got to get on board of this one, just like your friends did to you and my friends did to me. And I would think there's a couple of other sectors. You talked about biotechnology. I would think renewable energy is probably falling into this category, isn't it? Renewable energy is definitely falling into uh, this category. And, and, um, you know, uh, environmental, uh, uh, you know, electric vehicles, and the list just goes on and on right now. And, you know, you have sites like Robin Hood and Wall Street Bets where they're taking companies that frankly should be bankrupt and they're driving them to unbelievable prices. You know, Hertz rental car was, was one that was on the verge of bankruptcy. And they and, took, it to, took it back up again. Yeah. Oh, they pushed it back up. And frankly, they were going to come out with an, an offering and the securities and exchange commission stepped in and told them, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Uh, because it really would have burned a lot of investors. So, you know, you've got to be careful in markets like this because uh, there's four phases to a hype cycle and they always follow the same four phase pattern. Right now we're in the hyperbolic rise. In other words, people hear a story and you get these Robin Hood investors, especially the young people, are piling into stuff they have absolutely no clue about. And I mentioned a story on, on uh, past shows where uh, my son was at a grocery checkout counter and he was talking to the cashier and the cashier had his money in all these things that frankly were, were uh, headed to the, into the sewer and he was down $60,000. In other words, he'd burned up all his own investment capital and he was in a place where he was negative 60 grand. In other words, he owned, he had a margin call because things dropped so fast. And he was absolutely despondent. And there's a lot of people like that, that just, they, they just listen to the stories and they buy at the top. And that is the first phase of a hype cycle. And uh, look around you. And there's so many areas that are being hyped right now. And so we're definitely part of the market is in that first phase. And what's the next one? I like it. The Wiley Coyote moment. That's where you get that look on your face and you think, oh, no. <laughs> For those of you who are younger, I mean, Gordon and I laugh at this because Hanna-Barbera Hanna cartoons had uh, a cartoon that was uh, Roadrunner and Coyote. I think it was Warner Brothers, actually. It doesn't matter, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, the, the, the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. And, and certainly... Uh, the coyote was always trying to catch Roadrunner and never did. He was a big he, investor in Acme, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. This package from Acme would arrive, and it would be a huge slingshot that would propel him forward, or a cannon, or a rock to tie onto his back. Anyways, Roadrunner and, and Wiley Coyote would never make the corner. And you'd always see him standing over a canyon that probably two miles down. And he'd look around, and everything looked fine. And then his eyes would bulge, and he'd look down, and all of a sudden he'd, he'd disappear, and you'd, you'd hear this, ah, poof, as he hit the bottom. So the reality check, or Wiley E. Coyote moment, is when the market realized that demand for this product has been way overestimated. In other words, demand is not nearly as big as people thought it would be. And supply, in other words, the number of competitors, everybody thought, nah, there's not going to be a lot of competitors in here. Uh, we're way better. 
than everybody else anyway, so we'll grind them into dust. Well, they underestimate how many people show up and get into business. So all of a sudden, you have demand, which is not nearly as big as everybody thought, and supply, everybody's piled into it and started a company and is selling this stuff. You know, marijuana business, just a classic example of this, where uh, the supply, the amount of, of marijuana and marijuana products that are being grown is far bigger than the demand is. And, of course, nobody expected that so many people would immediately jump into growing this stuff. And so you had a crash and you had a reality check. Everybody rushed for the exits. And then you immediately went to phase three of the hype cycle, a crash and burn. That's where liquidity dried up because there's no buyers. Everybody realizes this is overhyped and they bought way too high and they're desperate to get out. So everybody piles into uh, the exit and they get burned. The bottom falls out, yeah. Then the bottom falls out. Great way of putting it, Gord. So you know what? You and I and everybody we know knows investors that bought at the top. They find, Everybody figures it out. It's like the light goes on in the room at the same time. Everybody figures out all at once. This is not going to be nearly as big as we thought it was. So they have that Wiley E. Coyote or reality check. And then the bottom drops out. There's a crash and burn. So... What? What's the Darwinian moment here that you talk about? Well, this is the period after the crash and burn where out of the wreckage, you'll find companies that actually have the DNA to be survivors. They've got the good balance sheet. They have the best execution of the product. They've got a business plan. Uh, <laughs> they've got a business plan. They've got management. Uh, they, they haven't overhyped it. They've they've been very controlled in making acquisitions and taking on uh, too much debt. And often in that Darwinian moment, and it's not a moment, it's a Darwinian period of time. For example, you take a look in 2000. While we had our Darwinian, Darwinian moment with the dot-com bubble, but what happened? Well, the market crashed. In fact, the Nasdaq went down 80%. And that's the home for many of these high-tech stocks. Well, it didn't turn around immediately because you had these high flyers like WorldCom and Nortel and so on, and they just disappeared. But out of this wreckage, if you'd been patient, you would have seen that names like Google, names like Amazon, these companies actually had a business plan that worked, and they became one of the big uh, uh, survivors of that period. Now, it took two or three years to wait and find out who was the survivor. And sometimes, especially in resource sector, after a big resource crash, like oil and gas stocks, frankly, started collapsing in 2014. And it's recently been only the last maybe five or six months that we've we've really seen those companies that have had the DNA to survive. So sometimes it can take as much as a decade for you to be able to identify the survivors of the last big crash and burn. But what you want to do is you want to start keeping your eye on the companies and sectors that have really been wasted. And uh, that is where you're going to get your big opportunities. So your Darwinian moment is really more a Darwinian period of time.
So, and you want to watch for the companies that uh, that have the DNA to be survivors. So there's got to be some ways, and you've, you've outlined some strategies how to play this, say, the wait-and-see method. This is right after the Darwinian moment then? Yeah, the wait-and-see method is when a sector has its Darwinian moment or period of time, uh, this is when you want to start figuring out which companies are the best of breed or the so-called diamonds of the rough, and then make your investment decisions from there. You know, for example, the tech industry, uh, as we talked about in the year 2000, well, it went over a cliff. Well, in 2003, 2004, all of a sudden you started to see who the survivors were going to be through all this. And that's when you want to make decisions to get in. After you find out who's the survivor and once the, the, the sector has started to turn. So those are two events that you've got to be patiently waiting for. And frankly, if you're a patient waiter and you have the time and discipline on your hands to do so, this is where the big money is made. Because if you can buy when these companies are so washed out and they are so wasted and they are so out of favor that nobody wants to be in them, even management is so discouraged they don't even want to buy them. You're going, to, these are the kinds of stocks that can grow 10, 20, 30, 40 times. And uh, you don't see it very often. Usually a couple times a decade, you get an opportunity to do this. But when that opportunity comes around and you're patient. Take action. Yeah, yeah take action because this is, can be where, where you really get big returns in your portfolio. What's the trading method strategy here? Well, the trading method is really when you sit back and, and you've done your homework and you say, you know, this is total hot air. There is nothing here that makes any sense at all. The only thing that is pushing this higher is human emotion. And so if you realize that and you have the ability to get in and out quickly, you buy it and you say, I'm not here for a good time. Uh, and I'm certainly not here. I'm here for a good time, but I'm certainly not here for a long time. And so you trade it and you realize it's going to blow up. You don't try to stay in there for years and, uh, you know, walk down the aisle and marry the investment. You're strictly there for uh, a, a short period of time for profitability. You look, you buy, you, you make some profit, you get out, you move back to the sidelines. That's another way to play it. What's the avoidance method? <laughs> Don't well, go there at all. Is, <laughs> and this is where most people should be when it comes to hype stocks. Because most people, frankly, aren't good at trading. Most people, frankly, don't have the knowledge about these individual sectors that are being hyped to be able to have a knowledge edge. Often they're older and they don't have the time or resources to cover from a major loss. Uh, they, they literally, they, um, they don't have the energy to follow this stuff and be on top of it, literally to have it have a computer dedicated to a chart of this thing sitting on the corner of their desk watching it as they work 24 hours a day. Most people aren't willing to give the time to these kind of things. These kind of people should avoid um, hype stocks altogether. And they just need to realize that often the best and, and most profitable investments that you ever make are the ones where you pass on. In other words, you decide not to do it. If you get 1% in a GIC, that's better than losing 80% of your money 
on a on a tech stock that you buy high and sell low. Well, we can all sit back and think, and, and I know I'm guilty of this. I heard a lot of hype about a lot of different things. Some regrets that I didn't get on board a couple of them because they ended up doing very well. But that's not always the case. More often than not, it seems to go the other way. It, it, statistically, over 90% of them go the other way. You can make money on hype, but you have to recognize it for what it is first. Amen, brother. All right. So if you have a question about this show or any other show we featured on Making Money, send us an email. You can reach Ron or myself through our website, letsmakemoney.ca, or our friends at cfcw.com, where we host the show. You'll be able to find us there, and we will address it in upcoming episodes. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Join us next week, big show. We're going to take a look at dividend growth and dividend yield strategies. A lot to chew on here, Ron. Two weeks' worth of... Uh material. This topic is so big that I couldn't pack it all into one show. So we're going to do it over two shows, Gord. So join us next week with part one, right? Next week, part one. The following week, part two. On behalf of Ron Hebert, the financial coach, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.